Hi, everybody. My name is Rafe Chenery. Good to see you all this morning. We are in John chapter 15, as it was just read to you. And let me pray over us as our children are being dismissed to the loop. Let me pray for our time in the Word. Father, we invite you right now to change us. God, as we sit underneath the authority of your word, we recognize that we are sinners who need the Spirit to change us. And God, we want to be changed this morning. And so, Lord, whatever is in our life that is hindering us from seeing you in all your glory, for living lives of total surrender to Christ, whatever is hindering us, whatever is on our life, whatever is in our schedule, whatever part of our life is just busyness that's hindering us from seeing Christ in all his fullness, This morning, I pray that you'd bring about conviction and that you would begin that hard work of stripping those things away from us, that we would rely on Christ and Christ alone. Have your way with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When I was growing up, uh, I remember a phrase that my mom used to tell me all the time. Uh, No matter what the injury, no matter what the sickness, and as a young, kind of wild kid, I had plenty of injuries No matter what it was, my mom always had one solution to it. Honey, go drink some water. (laughs) I literally could go up to my mom with a bleeding knee and I'd say, Mom, I think I need more than water. And she'd say, Honey, just go get a glass of water. No matter what it was, no matter how bad the headache, my mom's solution to everything was just go drink more water. You know, what's funny is I think my mom was probably more right than she actually knew. I was reading an article recently, and there's been a whole bunch of articles. I feel like my inbox is filled with articles about how good water is for you recently, as if we've forgotten. Thank you, Starbucks. But the article said, here's the symptoms of a dehydrated body, a body that's not getting enough water. Your body temperature won't stay regulated. Your joints may not work properly, and you'll get pain in your joints. Your brain might swell. You'll look more wrinkled. You'll have to think harder to complete the same task. Your body will not sleep properly. Your blood pressure might increase or decrease. Your moods will swing. Quite literally, the answer to a lot of our coffee-saturated, dehydrated, cultural dilemmas is exactly what my mom was saying. Just drink more water. In the same way that water is designed by God to bring about a fully functioning body, so is there a greater water, a greater hydration for our souls that God has designed for us to constantly fill up on so that we don't grow weary in the life that we've been given to lead. John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39 says, If anyone thirsts, this is Jesus, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What Jesus is saying in that moment is this, just as water is needed for the body to go about your day so that you don't grow weary and tired, so is Jesus needed for your day so you don't grow spiritually weary and spiritually ache. At the center of the Christian faith is this person named Jesus. At the center of the Christian faith is this person named Jesus in all his beauty, in all his majesty, in all his fullness, in all his love and compassion for you, in all his desire to fill you with everything you will need to go about your day. At the center of the Christian faith is not religion, is not anything other than this person who desires an intimate relationship with you who desires you to draw near to him, that you might be filled and not grow weary. And the symptoms of a dehydrated soul 
worry, anxiety, stress, a clinging on to the things of this world, a a sudden realization or thought that perhaps the scriptures aren't as true as they might have been, putting too much time into the things in your life that scripture says to not invest your time into, forgetting to meet together regularly as a church, the symptoms of a dehydrated soul, of not putting Jesus Christ as the centerpiece of your day by which you get all the nutrients. And Jesus makes it really simple for us in John chapter 15. It's really simple. He says this, all you need to do is stay connected to Jesus. All you need to do is stay connected to Jesus. If you're in this room today and and, and you find that some of those symptoms are true of you, you find yourself getting overwhelmed, you find yourself constantly stressed, worried, looking out over the horizon and knowing that you can't see tomorrow and then sitting and shrinking in fear, possibly, the answer is that you're forsaking or neglecting to meet with Jesus who says, I will be enough for you today. I handpicked this message for us as a community today for a reason. We are beginning in the fall a series through the book of Galatians where we are going to study verse by verse the entire book of Galatians. But I wanted to take this week to focus on John chapter 15 as a community because I think we need it. This Park South Loop community needs John chapter 15. Why? I think over the last year I've watched God personally do more things than I've ever seen him do in a community. His spirit is at work in ways that are powerful and tangible. Sometimes I sit in this room and I look around and I know your stories, I know what God's doing, and I just sit in worship at the God who's doing the miraculous among us. It's incredible to see the way this community has grown and the investments into each other you are making. And one of the ways you know you're smack dab in the middle of where the spirit is, is when ministry gets out of your control. When you can't put your arms around it anymore because it's, it's beyond you and the Spirit's doing stuff that you can't touch and you can't muster up and that's what he's doing here in this place. I see it every day. And at the same time, I see something else happening. I see a people who are continuing to get attacked by Satan. In this room, we have so much hardship going on. Those of you who are intimately plugged into this community, you know that, that we have gone through a season in the last six months We've had hardship, we've had illness, sickness, we've had those who are near and dear serving faithfully, just going through hard things in life. And sometimes what happens is we begin to worry and we, be, we forget to begin to minister to each other. And we kind of begin to lose hope and begin to lose centrality of Jesus and all his promises for us. And we begin to grow weary in this communal pursuit of chasing after Jesus And one of the the symptoms of an unhealthy church is when individually the members of the church are failing to overflow with the love of Christ into each other's lives. You see, when a community goes through hardship, what we need more than any ever is each individual member deeply soaking in Jesus Christ in all of his fullness. Each individual member going towards Jesus, running to him, being fed by Christ, filled up by all that is Christ, and then overflowing into one another. So that when you or you go through hardship, then the person next to you who's being filled up by Christ can pour into your life. That's what an emotionally healthy church looks like. That's what a spiritually healthy community looks like. Today I want to focus us on Christ. I want to look at what it means for us to abide in Jesus before we begin this semester and this next busy season. And so John chapter 15, I want to try to answer three basic questions. And the first question is this, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What does it mean 
to abide in Christ. John chapter 15. Let me read verses 1 and then verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, hear these words, apart from me, you can do nothing. The image that Jesus is drawing for us to help us understand what it means to abide in Christ is really simple. It's almost so simple we don't need to explain it anymore. But let me put a picture up so that you can kind of get a sense for what he's talking about. Here's a picture of a vine. And what you can see first and foremost is the beautiful fruit that's coming off this vine. That's what vines are designed to do. They produce fruit. And and there along the bottom, kind of forming an arch across the bottom of this picture is this vine. And through that vine flows the artery of the vine where the nutrients are going through it. That's where all the power to produce the fruit is coming from. It stems right through that vine. And off the vine, you can see shoots, branches coming off. And the fruit actually hangs from those branches. And the picture is clear that each of us in this room who has put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are simply a branch. Keep that picture up there for just a moment. We are simply a branch. Any fruit that comes off of our life, we can never take the credit for that. Any good thing that comes out of your life, you can never take the credit for that. The branch does not produce fruit on its own. In fact, if the branch tries to go on its own and produce fruit, it's impossible because it's just a branch. It's the vine that has all the power. The branch's job, a healthy branch, is healthy because it just stays deeply connected to the vine. As long as you stay connected to Jesus, as long as that is the artery by which the goodness and the love is flowing into your life, then you will have a healthy life as Jesus has ordained it. Now, when you think of vines for just a moment, I think a vine is a very fitting illustration for Jesus to pick to talk about abiding in Christ. Put the next picture up for me for just a second. Here what we see is what a vine looks like uh, from a little bit of a further backed up picture. What you notice about vines is that they tend to go in every different direction, don't they? When you look at a vine, it's going in one direction, then suddenly, because the vine is a vine, it'll just shoot off in another direction. And then you look again, and then it shoots off in another direction. Vines don't grow in a straight line. Vines are always turning. They're always changing. They're always going off in a different direction. When you least expect it, they shoot off going a different way. The first thing we know about abiding in Christ is that to abide in Christ means to let Jesus be in total control of your life. You're not the, the leader of your life. To abide in in Christ is to let the vine be the vine and to let the branch be the branch. To just say, Jesus, I give you full control. You're not the passenger in my life. You're taking driver's seat. Wherever you say to go, whatever you say to do, I'm on board because you give life. Nothing else gives life and I'll let you lead wherever it goes. Now this is horrifying. (laughs) This is horrifying. Because the vine oftentimes will go suddenly in different directions when you least expected it. Sometimes Jesus, when you give him control of your life, will tell you to do things that you never would have dreamed of doing. He'll tell you to go places and participate in things that you never would have thought of doing before. It wasn't on your radar. Perhaps it wasn't even in your heart. It wasn't something you had been dwelling on for a while. But then if you're plugged into the vine, suddenly you wake up and you see Jesus is not still going in your life the direction you thought he was, but he's jumped over here. He's now moving here. And as followers of Christ... 
It's in those moments when Jesus turns, when he starts leading you to something else, when we quickly realize whether or not we're abiding in Christ or not. When we quickly realize, have we actually given control over to Jesus? Think of the other illustrations that Jesus uses in Scripture. So often he says, I am the shepherd, you are the sheep. I'm the shepherd, you are the sheep. How silly would it be for a sheep to stand up to Jesus and say, hey, hey shepherd, I think I know where I'm going. Shepherd, why don't you come follow me? I know where the green pastures are. Let's go over this way. That's as foolish as a branch saying to the vine, hey, I think I know how to grow healthy fruit on my own. But so often in our life, we, we just cling to control, don't we? We just cling to it. We're desperately afraid to do something uncomfortable. We're desperately afraid to go where Jesus might lead. But the reality is, for those who have read the life of Jesus, by our descriptions, Jesus Christ was a wild man. He was a vine. He was always going off and doing things that were utterly uncomfortable for us who were just branches. And unless we're plugged into that vine, we are going to constantly feel uncomfortable and feel like we're never living up to what Christ has called us to in this life. If there's no zeal in your life for Christ, if there's no courage in your life, if there's no faith in your life and you're not clinging on to anything and trusting in Jesus, I wonder if we're actually abiding in Christ. You know, I, I have family members. I live in the city, and my family members live in other places around the Chicago land. And my family members will often say, Hey, Rafe, we're thinking of moving to Chicago. We'd love to move right by you. And th- what they'll say is, But we just want to know are, are you going to be there for a while? We don't want to buy a house and then you move off somewhere else. And my answer is always the same thing. Here's the plan every day I wake up and I say, Jesus, where would you have me be? As far as I know, right now, as far as I can see, I'm planning on raising my children here in Chicago and going through Chicago and leading this flock as far as I can see. My heart is here. I love this. That's my plans, but they're not written in stone. Because if tomorrow Jesus calls my family to Timbuktu, we have a plane ticket the next day. Wherever the vine leads, we as branches need to constantly be saying, Jesus, where are you going and how am I plugged into you? Vines take the lead. Branches give up control. Number two, abiding in Christ means trusting Christ when it hurts. Not just trusting Christ when he turns and giving him control, but trusting him when it hurts. Look at John chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Now, I'm a city boy. Um, I don't know that much about being a green thumb, but here's what I do know. I watched some YouTube videos this week about people who do know a lot more about gardening than I do. (laughs) And when vines grow out of control, here's what happens. Branches just are flying off these vines everywhere, and it looks like there's a massive mess of branches growing off the vine. They're the vines from previous years that had grown fruit, but no longer are growing fruit because they need to be trimmed back. And what a good vine dresser will do is he'll come up to that vine and it looks like it's overflowing and he'll go right down to the base with his clippers and he'll start clipping all these branches off. As I watched this, I thought that the vine dresser was literally killing this vine. He was taking everything away to literally the only thing that was left was the vine and just these little nubs. The vine looked absolutely naked with all the branches taken off of it. I thought it was way overkill. But what the vine dresser knows is that the only way for the vine to stay healthy and for the branches to continue to bear fruit is if he trims back all the excess, 
All the old stuff. Keep in mind, the old branches once upon a time produced fruit, but they have since grown stale, and they need to be clipped back so that they continue to grow fruit. In the Christian life, the Father is the vine dresser who regularly comes up to your life and he looks at the parts of your life that are producing fruit and the parts of your life that are not producing fruit. In our life here, living in the city especially, we continually have the issue that so often we are loading on our life non-fruit-bearing activities into our life. We're putting our trust, our faith, and our hope, and our excitement about life into activities, into things, and pursuits that ultimately do not bear kingdom fruit. Perhaps even once upon a time they did bear kingdom fruit, but since then the vines moved, and we're still living as if God was doing those old things in our life. And the vine dresser comes along, and he he trims back the branches, And, and this hurts, because when the vine dresser comes along in your life, and he starts to prune you, he usually starts to prune the things that are most deeply attached to your heart that are hindering you from trusting in Christ all the way. Across this room, some of you are being pruned right now. Your careers are changing. Your your family dynamics are changing. The finances are changing. All those things that you hold on to and that ultimately you don't realize it, but you're trusting in more than you're trusting in Jesus. God then, looking at your heart, seeing that it's being diluted of worship because Jesus gets all the worship in a Christian's life, seeing that there's branches unhealthily stuck in the heart, comes in and says, this is going to hurt, but it's for your long-term good. And he clips that branch trims it all the way down to the base, and he takes it off. And then we suddenly realize we have been clinging to things that cannot give us life and were never designed to give us fruit. This hurts, but it is good for the Christian soul. The Christian trusts in Christ in the pruning season because they have been abiding in Christ, being filling up on all that is Christ through all the different seasons of life so that when the Father comes along and prunes and changes something, strips you down, takes away those things you've been clinging on to and makes it difficult, makes it so you've got to cling on to Jesus. Otherwise, you've got nothing left. That's the spot where Jesus says, now I got you. Now I can start forming something beautiful in me because now you're abiding in me. You weren't abiding in me before. You were coasting. I don't want you to coast. I got more for you than coasting through life. Jesus was wild in his mission, and he's invited us to join him in his wild mission. If your chief ambition is to abide in Christ when the pruning comes in your life, you're going to find a king that says, I was here the whole time. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I haven't forgotten you. I'm enough today. I'll be enough tomorrow. Just keep abiding in me. If your chief ambition in life is to not abide in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, but you've got something else on your radar, when those seasons of pruning come, they're going to be hard. They're going to be really hard. And Christ says, this is the purpose of that season, to fix your eyes on me. It can sometimes feel like your whole life is slipping away from you, but it's in those moments that the Lord has you right where he needs you. Number three, abiding in Christ, just to put it really simply, means finding your joy in Jesus. Can someone say this with me? Say, finding your joy in Jesus. Say it out loud. Finding your joy in Jesus. Let me read chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. Verse 9. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. Hear those words. As you abide in the, in the love of Christ, he wants his joy. That's the joy that Jesus had. So when you think of Jesus, you think of all that he was. You think of the life he led and the joy that he had of being one with the Father. That joy, he wants that to be your life. He wants that to flow through you. As that joy flows through the vine and as you're a branch deeply connected to that vine, that joy then flows through your life. Last week, my wife and I and Nate Kucharik, uh, the other elder here, had a chance to visit uh, a small group that was meeting in this area. The small group was led by Middle Eastern Christians, uh, chiefly from Jordan, a few from Syria and other places throughout the Middle East. Went into this small apartment where they were packed in there. We ate some of the best food I've had in a long time. There was enough food for a whole week in that place. And then we sat down for the Bible study. And we sat down for the Bible study. The, uh, they began to sing in Arabic towards Jesus. And it was a small group, maybe 11 of us in this room, and, and what they did is they turned on YouTube, and they had Arabic-sung worship songs on the TV that they turned up pretty much as loud as I thought the TV would go. And, and they started singing. They were singing it was such a joy, and they were clapping right there in their family room. They were clapping because they loved him. They were so full on him. There was no shame. Here I was. All I could think as we started going, I'm like, man, what are the neighbors going to think right now? We got this TV up as loud as it'll go. And then finally, halfway through the second song, I saw someone take the remote control out. And I thought, finally, they're going to turn it down just a notch. That's a little bit better. And he turned it up louder. And then they really started singing. And you know what? The men were leading it. The men were singing their hearts out to Jesus. I was so convicted. I was so utterly convicted at that moment. What is it about the American church that we're ashamed of Jesus? Why? Why don't I sing like that in my house and clap my hands for what Jesus Christ has done for me? When did it become weird to shout the name of Jesus from the rooftops? When did that become something strange? Why is it that sometimes in the American church, the people who are telling us to tone it down and to not have quite so much zeal and to not quite listen to Jesus quite so much are the Christians? You get around a group of Christians and they say, maybe let's just tone it down, let's just be a little bit more civil about it, and we tone down all the amazing things Jesus desires to do in our life. Then you get around a, people, a group of people who are singing and clapping like Jesus is their joy and that they are plugged into him and desperately clinging to him and you go, you know, that looks a lot like this. You ever get in your life, you start looking through pages of scripture and you look at the early New Testament church and you start looking at your life and you start going, where's the disconnect here? That was incredible. They loved Jesus and they depended on him like it really counted. Remember when Peter was in jail for proclaiming Jesus Christ? And then he prayed that night, all night, and then what happened? The jail doors got blown off their hinges and he walked out. Remember that? What happened to that in the Christian world? 
What happened to that? Why don't we pray like that's about to happen? Well, part of it is because he had to pray all night for that to happen. He had to be clinging on to Jesus, be trusting that he was actually going to make the hinges of the jail door blow off their hinges before night's end. So often in the Christian faith, we moderate our passion for Christ. And when we begin to moderate and tone down the beauty of what we see in Scripture, we lose what it means to abide in Christ because Jesus invites us, hear the words, to the fullness of the joy that he had. Not a moderated version of joy, but a full version of joy. You know, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a disciple maker. What that means is that your life now has a mission. It's to produce fruit. And you, not just the people in church, not me, not just me, or not just the deacons at the church, but you as a spirit-filled Christian get the opportunity to see other people come to faith in Jesus Christ and get baptized. Oh man, I'll tell you what, there is nothing as sweet as a follower of Christ getting to walk someone else through knowing what it means to trust in Jesus Christ for the very first time. That is as sweet as it gets. And Jesus says, that's what I want your life to be about. That's the fruit and the joy I want you to walk in regularly. And so often we temper it back because we're afraid. And the other reason is that we're not abiding in Christ. We're disconnected from him. We're failing to draw our joy and our goodness from the person of Jesus Christ who speaks to us and we're settling for trying to draw our goodness from just being decent people, from going about Christian community, for just trying to do whatever it takes to just stay afloat, missing Jesus in all his fullness saying, I love you, I love you, I've got more planned for you than that. Abiding in Christ means finding our joy in Jesus. Now, why? Why would we do this? if what I just said is true, what that means is that there's a mark on a follower of Christ's life that they become, might I say, unique in the eyes of the world. Here's a group of people that are going to be talking about Jesus a whole lot, and frankly, in our day and age, talking about Jesus a whole lot is kind of a strange thing. So why would we go about this? Well, I think there's two central reasons that Scripture gives us this morning. Number one, this one blew my mind this morning, this, this week as I was studying it, verse 16. Chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus says this, You did not choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would abide, or that your fruit would remain. Hear those words. Jesus says, I chose you. Okay, so first of all, hear that. If you're a follower of Christ, it's because Jesus handpicked you. Wrap your mind around that for just a moment. He handpicked you so that your fruit would remain. What that means is that the fruit of your life would remain into eternity. Read the next verse here, verse 17. Uh, so that, or the end of 16, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he might give it to you. Let's get that logic right here. Jesus chose you before the foundation of the earth so that the fruit that comes out of you as a branch plugged into the vine would remain into eternity. Therefore, ask whatever you will, because the Father delights in answering your prayers so that your life will produce fruit. Oh, man. Nothing else in your life will last into eternity except the fruit that comes off your life. Your home will not last into eternity. Your careers will not last into eternity. Your money will not last into eternity. 
What will last into eternity is the fruit that comes off of your life. The kingdom fruit. And Jesus desires for you to ask him for things. This week, I was talking with a young guy, and we got him hooked onto a Bible reading plan so that he'd start reading his Bible every single day. And earlier this week, he shot me a text message. He said, hey, look, I put a check next to every single day. I've read my Bible. And then I texted him back, John chapter 15, verse 7. I said, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And my next text to him was, you better start asking. (laughs) Because when you abide in Jesus Christ, you know what the Lord's desire is. Ask for fruit. You know what this church needs? We need a listening to the Spirit. We need a people that are sitting before Jesus Christ and realizing that Jesus desires and chose us that our life might bear fruit and listening to him of how he desires us to produce that fruit. What if we prayed for people and really believed that he was going to bring healing? Would you take that risk? Jesus says he heals. New Testament gives us example after example after example of New Testament believers praying for people that they would be healed and then them actually getting healed. Here in this church, we have examples where we prayed over people and then they got healed. Now, many people say at that moment, well, what if I pray for someone and they don't get healed? I got a better question for you. What if you pray for someone and they do get healed? What are you going to do then? What are you going to do in that moment when you pray over someone because you believe that Jesus is as good as he said he was and they get healed? What are you going to do in that moment? You're going to have as much joy as you've ever had in your whole life. When you look back at Jesus and you say he is as good and full of love as he promised he was. What we need is a group of people in this community that are leaning in on each other, encouraging one another, listening to the Spirit and speaking truth over one another. Lifting each other up, that can't just fall to a handful of people. An emotionally healthy church is every individual member plugged in, connected to Jesus, then overflowing words of encouragement and spirit-filled love into each other's lives, praying prayers of dependence that God would show up, and then celebrating when he does. Number one, because our fruit remains. Number two is because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Look at what he says, chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus is worth it. Hear what he says in this. He says, greater love has none than that someone lays down his life for his friends. And then he points at his disciples and he says, you're my friends. I'm laying my life down for you, for you. I give up my life, the king of the world, the one who know you, the one who just said he chose you before the foundation of the world, enters into flesh, takes on humanity, literally lives a life of full joy with the Father, and then sacrifices his life out of love for you, that you would have an abundant life so that your life would produce fruit. The king hangs on the cross as a substitute for you. Because of our recklessness, because of our abandonment of him, because of our sin, he shed his blood on a cross where we belonged, carrying the wrath of our own sin, the wrath that was due us as a result of our sin. Jesus, God in the flesh, takes it on his own shoulders in your place. His love for you is more than we could ever imagine. 
We'll never know the full weight of the sin and wrath that was poured out on Jesus' shoulders until we get to heaven and we see his scars with our own eyes. We'll never fully understand it, but we'll get a glimpse of it when we read the scriptures. And what we see in the biography of Jesus is that this man, Jesus, was worth it. He was worth it. He loved you enough to die for you, then he rose from the grave, filled you by the Spirit, said, now let's get to work. I got good stuff planned for you. He is worth it. You'll never cling on to something that can give you as much life as Christ. You'll hold on to things in this world, you'll hold on to your jobs, you'll hold on to your families, all these things that could be good in and of themselves, but they are not the good thing that can give you life. And if you fail to cling to Jesus, you'll search for your whole life for something as good as him, and you'll never find it. You'll never find it. How do we abide in Christ? I want to give you some practical things here. As we kick off the fall semester, I want to make this as practical as I possibly can for you. Abiding in Christ can feel and seem almost ethereal, kind of very spiritual, but it actually is very practical and simple. And, and the health of our church is, is demanding that we as individual members are putting into practice some of these very practical things. I heard a, a pastor use an illustration like this to describe what I'm about to share with you. He said, abiding in Christ is like sailing in a sailboat. Once you put your faith in Jesus, you're given this beautiful sailboat, you're put out to sea, and some of us have never learned how to put the sail out and catch the wind. Some of us have never learned what it means to pull on the, I don't know to sail, but to pull on the rope and draw the mast. That sounds sailing, right? Some of us have never learned what it means to actually put the sailboat out and catch the wind and glide across the water and to pick up speed. And what, it, what Jesus invites us into is a life of learning the spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of actually doing the hard work to go through beginning a relationship and fostering a relationship with Jesus Christ. The spiritual disciplines are not legalistic. It's not moralism and religion. It's actually how we abide in Christ. Some people over the years have called these the habits of the heart or spiritual graces. You know, one of the great tragedies of our modern mindset is that we kind of think that our, our right is that one day we're just going to wake up and be spiritually mature. That, that somehow it's our right to just become a Christian and then be a spiritual sage and we're going to wake up and never have put any real hard work into growing in our faith and then just be a spiritual enlightened person. But the reality is, is that these things take a lot of time and a lot of repetition and you learn to draw the mast and catch the wind over time. This is what Paul meant when he said in 1 Corinthians, So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself might be disqualified. These disciplines that we put into our life foster a life of abiding in Christ. The first one is this, abiding by reading God's word. I know it sounds simple, but we lose track of this every day. Let me make sure we hear this clearly. Reading God's word. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The daily intake of reading God's word needs to become like breathing to a Christian. You can't get through your day without it. It needs to just become a part of the rhythm of your life. Actually spending time opening this up. And here's the thing about reading God's word is that some days you, you feel like you're flying, like God is speaking to you and it's emotional and it's good and you're just off and it's amazing and you learn so much. And other days you're kind of just reading God's word and it's not necessarily flying off the page, but the rhythm 
of daily opening up the Word and spending time listening to Christ's words to you form habits of the heart that allow you to hear from Jesus. This actually fell out of my Bible while I was preaching. This is my Bible reading plan. I keep it right in my Bible every single day. It's got a plan on it of what I'm supposed to read every single day. It makes sure I read the New Testament twice in a year, the Psalms twice in a year, and the Old Testament once in a year. And every single day I just check off if I've done my reading for the day. Now some of you say, hey, that sounds hard. That sounds like that's going to take some time. Number one, yes it is. It's going to take some time. But do we have a joy in Jesus? Is he really as good as he said he is? Do we actually want to spend some time with him and hear from his words? My precious wife last year, last year, my precious wife, last year we fostered two girls out of the foster system, went through the adoption process, all the court cases. My wife is an administrative machine. I'm a procrastinator. You don't know how much paperwork and stuff there is to do when you're going through this process. A mother to three. I'm a busy pastor. She read through the whole Bible in a year. Every single morning she woke up. 5.30 in the morning, she'd be up there with me with her Bible open, reading through, checking it off. If she missed a day, she'd wake up a little earlier the next day so she could get through two of them. Our lives are busy. But if we choose to prioritize Christ, it's a matter of making that choice. This is what it means to abide in Christ. We're filling up on God's word every day and allowing that fruit to pour out of us. The second one is this, abiding by meditating on God's word. Meditating on God's word. Now that word meditation brings some heavy cultural baggage into it in our modern day when we think about Buddhism and yoga and these things that are kind of making us think about meditating. Here's what meditating on God's word means. I heard Eugene Peterson, he wrote a book called, uh, oh, I forget the title of the book now. He wrote a book, which he used an illustration, where he said, Meditating on God's word is like a dog with a bone. He goes, you ever see a dog with a bone? You give him a brand new bone, and over the course of a few days, that dog is just playing with that bone. He's tossing it around. He's chewing on it. Slowly, that bone gets dirty. Then it starts to crack apart, and then that dog just chews a little bit more on one of the pieces, and then the pieces of the bone are all around. He plays with a little bit more. The bone's getting dirtier slowly over a week over a couple weeks, that bone just gets literally digested into the dog's body. He's played with it so much, he's tinkered with it, he's chewed on it so much that the bone literally dissolves into the bloodstream of the dog. That's what we do with God's Word. We, we, we think on it, we dwell on it, we memorize it, we throw it around in our mind when we're driving through the city and we're stuck in traffic, we're repeating verses that we've thought about it, and we're just bringing it back. What do I think about this? We're letting it form our heart. Over the summer, every single morning, I've been doing prayer walks, memorizing a section of Psalm 119. And, and memorizing is not easy for me. I don't, I'm not a very smart guy. Memorizing is hard work for me. Sometimes I try to memorize a few verses, and then I wake up, and I feel like I'd never even read them, Right? But every single day, this process of trying to store a little bit more of God's word in my heart. And you know what's happened over the summer? I've got about 35 of the verses down in my mind right now. Every, every day I've had opportunities to pray these verses over other people. I'm thinking about them. I find myself driving through the city and meeting with people who need to hear the thing that I've been locking into my heart. This is what we do with God's word. I want to, I want to invite you this year. As we kick off a new ministry year, I want to invite you to a place of abiding in Christ. 
to flinging open the sail and allowing the wind of Christ to catch your life and send your life in a new direction and fill you with the zeal and the passion of the New Testament church. That's what I want for this church, to see the spirit explode in ways that we can't control and for God to get out ahead of us. To do that, we need to be abiding in Christ. Andrew Murray wrote this great book called Abiding in Christ. Fancy the title. And I want to finish with this quote. He says this, As you now, at this moment, abandon all anxiety about your growth and the progress to the God who has undertaken to establish you in the vine, and feel what a joy it is to know that God alone has charge. Ask and trust Him by the Holy Spirit ever to remind you of this, your blessed relation to Him. He will do it. And with each new morning, your faith might grow stronger and brighter. I have a God to see that each day I become more firmly united to Christ. Expect it confidently. Ask it fervently. Count on God to do his work. And learn in faith to sing the song, the note of which each new experience will make deeper and sweeter. Now to him that is of power to establish you, be glory forever. Amen. Yes, glory to God who has undertaken to establish us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we desire to abide in you. We desire to live reckless lives of abandon for you, pursuing the vine that moves out beyond us, that is not safe, that is not comfortable, but is powerful, full of love and joy. God, we need that. God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would individually be abiding in Christ this year and wherever there has been a lack of abiding, wherever there has been a coasting, God, that you would bring about a conviction this morning and a great desire to see and abide in Christ in all his fullness. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.